I'm super excited today to have Jay Marie Moore, the daughter of famous light heavyweight boxing champion Archie Moore on the show. He was the longest running light heavyweight champion in the world, has the most knockouts in the history of boxing, and he's also a personal hero of mine. So Jay Marie, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Um, let's get started talking about you and your dad. Hello to everyone who's listening out there. It's a pleasure to have you um, listen to some of my stories and to meet you. And uh, feel free to contact Ben if you, you know, need to know anything more about me or you love our interview, which I'm sure you are. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, please, guys, contact me, and and uh, we'll do like a, maybe a Q and A in a later episode. I'd love to have Jay Marie back on multiple times. We've already talked about it. We have a, a good banter and rapport, and we love all the same things. So I'm sure I'll have her back on later to do uh, multiple follow up episodes. So your dad. Archie Moore, the greatest light heavyweight champion, arguably the greatest fighter in the history of boxing, but also one of the least known guys to people that are not just aficionados of the sport. What is that about? Well, actually, then, here's the thing. Because of the era that my father Thought. And I can't blame it all on the era because, you know, people know who Joe Lewis was and they know who Jack Johnson was and um, Henry Armstrong and things like that. But, you know, when it comes to Archie Moore, they just kind of like, who? And I, I get that. But for the aficionados, to me, you're not one if you do not know who Archie Moore not only was, but what he did. I mean, it's um, this is a place in history that cannot ever be done again. And that is, I think, why I am a boxing historian as well as a former professional boxer myself. But I'm a historian because these are the guys that paved the way for the, for the champions today who give no props whatsoever, in my eyes, to people like my father. You right, know, um, right. You know, I mean, it, even if it's a boxing position or stance or, or any of that, they change the name, they call it what they want, and I get that, you know, you're moving forward in history and things like that, but like I said before, some things just are unchanged, period. And um, it's like, it's sort of like... Um, you have you ever seen a movie and uh they remake it and some things cannot be remade right they just can't you know that's the big uh, thing in hollywood can. now mm -hmm. right yeah i mean some things can i mean i thought um you know going off subject a little bit like a star is born i thought that could never be replaced because of uh you know, Chris Christopherson and, and Barbara Streisand were awesome. But I think when um, Bradley and Lady Gaga played it, you know, they did a, a little bit twist to it. So to, I, I actually enjoyed it. I didn't look at it. I wasn't, you know, I didn't keep looking for the 
whole Barbara Streisand thing. So I thought that was good. Um, but uh, like I said, there's a few movies out there when if you try to remake them, it's like, eh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> So. Well, your father definitely did some things that I don't think will ever, I mean, it'll be a long time before anybody ever surpasses his accomplishments. Um, you know, Box Rec has him down as having 186 fights with 132 KOs. That's How many fights did he have? Uh, well, I know he, you know, he had um, 200 and, I want to say it's 219 or 214 fights. He has 145 knockouts. Um, the reason why they have a discrepancy is a lot of, and this is no diss to box rep, because that's all we have, if you think about it. There's not another entity that keeps up with boxers you know, right. records and things like that. So they just go by it and tell the truth. If you if you need to change it, um, you usually can call them, <laughs> or, you know, or email them and, and basically um, tell them or either show them proof and they'll change it. I just haven't had the time to do it because um, I think it's more important for me to answer my dad's fans than it is to correct his his quote record. Number one, he's in the World Guinness Book of Records, is one forty five. Number two, David Vaught, who is the um historian and researcher um at the Archie Moore Foundation, um, he had to go <laughs> we had these T shirts made and it has my dad's whole record on the back. The complete record. And it includes wins, losses, knockouts. So I have to get some more made. Because, but the guy that um, made before, the, obviously the writing's very tiny because that's a lot of information. But I, <laughs> I do have my own. And so when we went to get the, I thought it was one, 141. So that's what, you can actually count them on the back of this T-shirt. It's 141 knockouts. But when David, when we went to have them remade, David started, you know, going through them like, you know, and his, you know, a person would, a researcher would. He called me and he said, you won't believe this. He said, I found more knockouts. And he said, it's 145. And then it hit, I remember my dad saying he had 145 knockouts. I remember Mm. that. And so I said, you know what, you're right. I don't even know where I got 141 from. And so, anyway, so it, it's 145. Um, if that's the true amount. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I have a T-shirt and I have David's PDF with, with every knockout and the person and the city and the state and the time, and not the time, and the date. Wow. Because you have to remember, this is a guy <clears throat> that was fighting in St. Louis Catch a train to, to like, uh, another state, excuse me, and fight, take another train or a bus to San Diego or somewhere in California and fight again that night. That's three fights in one day. 
and he knocked them all out. You know, yeah, so this it's, man is a, it's this funny. Man I get in out artist <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I get in arguments all the time on on you know social media with people that are. Mm-hmm talking about Floyd Mayweather or somebody from the current era being the greatest the greatest boxer ever. I'm like, listen, just jump jump on the internet and research Archie Moore for a little bit. I'm always bringing up your dad. Oh, thank you. He's, it's just an incredible feat. And, I mean, this is also in an era of boxing when he had to fight to get fights being black mm-hmm. because of racism. Mm-hmm. People refused mm-hmm. to fight him. Um, mm-hmm. so his accomplishments, his accomplishments, accomplishments, his accomplishments are mm-hmm. just incredible. You know, I mean, given all of the the facts, it's an, it's a, it's a fascinating story. So he's also famous for his, his, the guard that he used in boxing. Um, a lot of current boxers know it as the cross arm guard, uh, but you informed me the other day, that's not actually what it's called. What was it called? Well, um, they they call it the cross arm, or either they call it the Philly shell, okay? And if you think about it, the reason why they called it or changed it to the Philly shell is because, I don't know, uh, a lot of boxers in Philly use it. A lot of Mm. the kids at PAL, they used it coming up. But the cross arm guard, if you look at it, his arms are crossed across his chest in a certain way one arm up, one arm across the most vulnerable part of his body because everybody knows in boxing, you know, beat up, you know, you can, you can beat up the body and the head will roll. So mm-hmm. the actual name of it, he invented it, him and his coach, him and his, him and him and his trainer, and it's called the turtle shell. He named it that because whenever a turtle is in trouble, and say another animal that's bigger and that can come and get them, what do they do? They he, they tuck their head and go into their shell. So, in boxing, if he sees a, a boxer that is coming at him in a certain way, he puts his head down and he protects his body into a shell. Thus, the turtle shell. The other uh, position that he created is called the peekaboo. And the peekaboo is one arm up near his head, and the other one, it's not so much crossing the body, it's actually horizontal and parallel with um, the other arm. The thing about it is you you actually have to have – forearms that are large enough that can hide you. Again, it's a it's a hiding technique. So the reason why he calls it the peekaboo is because you can peek up or down through your arms to see your opponent. So he doesn't know and you can go right in and know and zone in on where to strategically hit him or her again. Because huh. you can see it, so that's why it's called the peekaboo. You know, peekaboo. So, you know, like it's the interesting. Kids play peekaboo. Mm-hmm. So most most people accredit Customato with the peekaboo, but you're saying it was your dad who who came up with the position first? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It wasn't like he didn't know Customato or anything like that, but um, 
I beg to differ how Customato, who, to my knowledge, correct me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, never stepped in a ring to be able to create that. You have, boxing is a scientific sport, which everybody knows. It's a dance, okay? Mm-hmm. And unless you can actually get in the ring with an opponent and practice, you know, different moves, Nobody can stand out from the outside of the ring and tell you, oh, if you hold your arms this way and look over and under, you can see your guy. That that wouldn't enter a non-boxer's head. You have to know it to be in the throes. And if you do, you have to be working with a boxer that knows boxing well enough to work with you to develop that type of uh, strategic um, uh, defense. Now, you know, Custom Model had Mike Tyson. You know, I know he had others as well, but he didn't have anybody that I that I know of that he could he would have been able to work with and develop. You know, the peekaboo, um, basically because the boxers that he did have that actually were successful. Mike Tyson, but I believe wasn't even born when my dad was fighting. I well, yeah, your dad preceded. Yeah, your dad preceded yeah. uh, all of Cus's champions. That's that's interesting. I I uh, I had never I had never heard that before. Well, mm-hmm. the the cross arm guard um, is is it's kind of experiencing a resurgence. I mean, it's coming back in MMA. People are starting to, to use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Muay Thai, there's a, there's a lady named Sylvie Von Douglas Itutu that's using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully I didn't butcher her name too bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, it works. Yeah. That's I mean, really it works. If you, um, and, and and what you also have to remember too, then is that not not I'm not speaking to you personally. I'm just saying what you have, and I know you know this, but boxing is more than even defense, arm positions, punching power. It, it's way more than that. If you take I've done this before, and you're you're an editor, so you you'd love this, and I challenge you to do this. And I, actually, I'll send you the clip. If you take, say, one of my dad's fights, and you take off him and his opponent's body from the from the waist up or mid waist up, take off their heads. Don't don't even show it. Watch uh-huh. their feet. Watch their foot movement. And when you're watching a fight, if you watch a man or a woman's foot movement, that will tell the whole story of how this fight is going to go. People ask, Jay Marie, how can you call fights? I've I've never called a fight that didn't win. Ever. If we're interested in it, I, I I I can call it, you know, because there's certain things that I look at, and unless it's just a lopsided fight or something like that, or 
and I try not to look at crap. But um, excuse me for that, but <laughs> I just don't. Um, it is a dance, and I wish that I had thought of it when my dad was living because even at, you know, 70, 75 years old, he was still sharp mentally and physically. His, you know, when he was training me, I mean, I was just, I was more amazed at him than I was at almost at learning. Um, but if you look at these fights and you watch his footwork, like I said, I wish, what I would have done is I would have put paint on the bottom of his boxing slides and I would have had him do moves in the ring. And I would have taken that canvas and I would have mounted it. Beautiful. Yeah, well, we've talked about it before we ever got on to do the podcast. I mean, it was almost like mm-hmm. a dance. It was like he was waltzing, sort of. He, he yeah. had yeah. very unique footwork and, a, and an ability to cut angles. And I think the cross-arm guard helped because he controlled people's elbows so well, too. And he would be able to right. kind of take take their side, mm-hmm. the angle, cut an angle on their side so efficiently. Um but yeah, I, it, well, it's, well, it's, he, fought it's, a, he fought off the angles. That was his right. thing. But a lot of people, even today, they're just now realizing it. Um, you know, like I mean, Mayweather. You know, they think he made up the shoulder roll. Really? I mean, I can show you fights back to 1940 where my dad was doing the shoulder roll. Right. Right. You know? Right. Because he knew his body. He knew his body so well, it was ridiculous. Eddie Futch, trainer of the century, 21 champions, you know. Um, for those who don't know, basically he, you know, uh, was the trainer of um, Joe Frazier, uh, Ken Norton against Ali, um, Riddick Bowe, okay, 21 champions. So Eddie Fletch and my dad were very, very good friends, and um, he's actually my god was actually my godfather, and he was named trainer of the century, not of the decade, not of the year, <laughs> of the century. That's huge. That's huge. And my dad used to always call him and say, Eddie, when are you gonna come train me? This is when my dad was fighting, <clears throat> and he said, Archie, you're the only man I know that if it was legal. You would train yourself, work your own corner, and fight the fight <laughs> and win. And that that, that was a that was an ongoing joke. And the, and actually, his wife Eva, but she's a very good friend of mine, she actually lives around the corner. She um, has a lot of uh, my uncle Eddie's letters back and forth to my dad, you know, or where he would say that, you know. But they would call each other a lot, but. They also, I believe, Daddy wrote it in a letter, and that was always Uncle Eddie's, you know, recourse back to him. And, and that was true. Like, like my dad wrapped his own hand because it was legal then. Okay, right, now you right. can't. You have to, yeah. But my dad always wrapped his own which is why I, I can wrap hands so well, is because he said, don't ever, well, you know, he was older, but he said, don't ever let anybody wrap your hand that you don't know. And if you can get away with it, 
He said it just like that, wrap your own hands. So whenever I would train or anything, I always wrap my own hands. Um, even when I was sparring, wrap my own hands. Why? Because somebody can wrap your hands too tight. You put them in the glove. Once you start fighting or sparring, your hands start swelling. Right. And you, right. then all of a sudden they're numb, and the next thing you know, your hands are broken. Yeah. Yeah, so, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So he was he was big on that. I mean, everything he. Well, I, you know the. His, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Wait, go ahead. It's it's interesting because I'm looking at the timeline right now. Um, Patterson, who was the first youngest heavyweight champ, uh, you know, uh, was trained by Cuss, but mm-hmm. he was he's 20 years younger than your dad, and and exactly, and and Cuss and your dad are contemporaries, so it it does make sense that that uh, the the peekaboo style, at least from a timeline perspective, your mm-hmm. dad. Uh, you know, could have originated it and then Cuss could have kind of taken it and tweaked it and, you know, put it with Tyson or whatever. But that's that's fascinating. It, it only you know. worked with Tyson. It didn't work with, with Patterson. And don't forget, I mean, you know, people, this is boxing. You steal whatever you want to steal. <laughs> you see somebody doing something, you try it on your boxer. But although Floyd Patterson was a, you know, tall, you know, man, and he was a heavyweight, and don't forget, my dad was a light heavyweight. A lot of people get that confused. And, oh, well, Floyd Patterson beat him, and Rocky Marciano beat him, and Muhammad Ali, rather, Cassius Clay beat him. Yeah, but he was already the light heavyweight champion of the world. He was almost 50 years old. Right, and they were right. heavyweights, and he went up in weight, which would make him slower. And I asked him, Dad, why did you fight in the heavyweight? Why did you do that? He goes, oh, I don't know. Just, I guess, greedy. <laughs> I said, Cause greedy. I cause like I, I did, yeah. He said, well, I beat everybody in light heavyweight. I thought maybe I'd give heavyweight a try. Didn't quite work out for me, though. <laughs> you know, and that was how he spoke. That was how he took things. He was never bitter. Um, you never heard him complain. Um, about a fight, uh, no matter how it ended. Uh, towards the end of his life, I think he did a couple interviews and he did mention a few things that bothered him. But I think in his mind at that time, he was probably like, you know, what do I got to lose? You know, it's been 50, 60 years. Yeah, you I don't know? think I've ever seen a, a photo of your dad unless he was clowning where he wasn't smiling. I, he only... Played right. angry, right? Like I've, he's he all he was always happy unless he was goofing yeah. around and pretending to be yeah. angry, you know. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That that was his. That's the kind of that's the kind of man he was. That's what type of dad he was. He was always happy. He was um, like I could walk in, I could get up at four o'clock in the morning and say, "Hey, Dad," you know. And he would jump out of bed. Hey, baby, how you doing? Want to shoot some pool? Uh, no, Dad, I don't want to shoot pool. At 4 a.m., I was just walking through the house, and I thought you were up. No. Well, I'm up. I'm up. You know. So. 
Well, he 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 was also one of the first fighters to ever um, employ a special diet, right? Didn't he have some kind of special diet that he followed or something well, like that? Yeah, um, yeah, he did. Um, he got his diet from the Aborigines, and uh, my dad was always a barter type person, and so he he couldn't get a fight in the states, so he went to. Uh, Australia, where they agreed they, you know, he could get some fights. He was there for about two years, and um, he saw some Aborigines, and uh, they were sitting on the bank, and uh, they, he told them, he says, I'll show you a punch or a position if you show me how you guys keep your weight down. What do you eat? Mm. You know, because their bodies were just lean and yeah, very you know, lean. Yeah, yeah. Right. You didn't go. Oh, there's a fat Aborigine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so he right. said. No. And so they were like. So so he said. Uh, so he said okay. So they traded. Dad traded his boxing secrets. You know, it wasn't all of them. They're probably just basics. But they told him what to do. And my dad, which a lot of people, well, not a lot of people, but some people do know. My dad, I mean, his championship weight is 175 or 175 and a half, but always 175. You know, he didn't come in the ring at 180. Well, you can't really unless your opponent weighs it, but he didn't. He always came in shape, always. Yeah, he was ripped. When he wasn't. Yeah, but when he wasn't fighting, he was probably walking around like as a super heavyweight, you know. He and um, you know, but when it came time to fight, you know, he got it together. What he was known more or most for, as well, uh, diet wise, is that dad would come to training camp and. you know, I think they had two steps as far as weigh-ins, and uh, he would weigh in, and he'd be like 185, maybe 190. And by the time it was fight time, because they had to weigh in right before the fight again, he was down to 175. People were like, how does he do that overnight? And wow. it didn't take his strength. It did not take his brain. Because, see, that's my issue with boxers today. They try to rip down for the fight and get in their lowest weight because they're normally not fighting at their most effective weight. They just want to fight in that particular weight class, be it for the money, be it um, whatever reason. But what they don't realize is that, yeah, your muscles – and then – after the weigh-in, they go and they eat, you know, they eat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they, they actually blow back up. And they, and let's say a guy comes, he's supposed to be, let's just say, he's supposed to be 175 pounds. He goes to his weigh-in. He's 175 on the, on the button. He goes and eats. And so by the time it's time to fight, um, he's 180, maybe 185. Well, right, now, or more, yeah. 
I mean, you get yeah, guys like more. Canelo Alvarez that are always fighting right. to catch weights, and then they're yeah. 20 pounds mm-hmm. above the belt that they hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And <clears throat> so the thing is the body, the muscles, you know, are hungry. So they're, they're eating up that food that you just put in, okay? And the body is able to do that, okay? But the brain isn't. If you have mm. starved your brain, okay, if you starved your brain, your brain is not able to compensate what you just did because you just mm. your body in shock that you wouldn't believe. You just went from 175 to 190 pounds or, or, or you know, was like you said, or 185 or more. Right, but the brain right. can't can't work with that. The brain's not used to moving that kind of weight around, you know what I'm saying, that fast. So a lot of boxers, you know, what was it last year or was it 2018 or 2019? So not last year, 2019, we had five boxers dying in the ring. Why? Because I believe, this is me, I believe that they're starving their body, then they're filling it up, and the brain can't take it. So when they get hit, the brain doesn't know. It it just can't. It, it's not in tune with the body. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's not in tune with the body. Wow. So what was the secret to the diet? Can you tell us? No, of course not. <laughs> no? Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, he. I mean, he had it an incredible career and it's funny that you talk about brain and there's there's all this there's all this talk nowadays of of traumatic brain injury and all that sort of thing but if but they don't you care. can they don't they don't care. right they don't care right. about boxers they call it they call it quote punch drunk and then now then they try to clean it up and call it call it pugilistic dementia but let a football player who wears a helmet you know have the traumatic brain injury. Oh, and it's a big to do. And their right. insurance pays out millions of dollars and they end up committing suicide or killing somebody. And I'm not dissing them. I'm just saying this is the difference between boxing and any other uh, sport. You know, boxer walks around, oh, he's punch drunk. He's been all his money. He's this, he's that. And it's not, and, and it's like, when are you going to understand? We are in that ring with no headgear. Nothing. Nothing protects our brain except the peekaboo and the turtle shell. Well, yeah, and he he was very articulate into in, in even into his old age. I mean, I remember seeing interviews of him and he was super articulate. Whereas you get some guys nowadays, and you know, I mean, because they from, don't, they did not protect. Dad told me that was a, one of the first things he told me uh, when we started training. He said, "No matter what happens in that fight, protect your brain. Protect your brain. Number one, mm. your gloves are big enough. Put them up to your brain. Tuck your head." Right, I mean, right. Protect your brain you box. Know? Right, right. Yeah, because the brain is going to tell the tell the body what to do. And if you don't have a brain, 
you know. And then it, it comes from more than it comes from taking too many blows to the brain or to the head. It comes from um, not knowing how to protect your brain. It, it comes from sparring too much, which mm. a lot of people don't know. That's a little secret that I really didn't plan on telling. But it's sparring <laughs> too much. Um, you get a lot out of me. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> you know, so, um, you know, it, it's sad. It's sad. It comes from fighting too much, you know. A lot of these promoters, all they care about doing is making money, you know. And then when, you know, these box, a lot of the boxers, they never had money like that. Right, know? right. And, and so many they, boxers die broke. Well, yeah, because when they started, they never had money. They were from the streets. All of a sudden, they get all this money. And then, of course, they have their hanger honors, as my dad would call them. And mm. you're paying everybody. And you're what the what what they what the kids call today. They're making it rain, right? Right. You know, right. and all of a sudden, because in their minds, all they have to do is fight another fight, and right. their promoter, not calling any names, their promoters, they they use them like like workhorses, like you know, and you know, well. I'm not going to say that, what I wanted to say, but it's, it, it, it's <laughs> good job really catching yourself. Good job catching yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's it, but well, yeah, because I get a lot of I would get I get some backlash over it. Um, right, right. But I'm not the per- kind of person will tell that. I mean, that would care, you know. But I, I'll tell you uh, when we're off air um, what what I feel, and it's just don't just remind me. But right. anyway, they're they're workhorses, so. What they do, like I was talking to Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, and uh, we were on the Foreman show, and I I said something about a trainer, and he said, I'm not a trainer. He said, I'm a coach. He said, trainers train horses. Mm. And I thought, yeah, deep, deep. But back in the day, you, you... Back in the day, your trainer was called your trainer. They didn't get into the whole coach thing. But Dad, you know, when he, when he quote, trained uh, George Foreman, he said they asked him, you know, what was his position. And I think the interviewer thought that they were going to say, that he was going to say, oh, I, I, I'm his chief trainer. And he didn't. He said, I am his chief strategic excuse me, strategic tactician. Um, Where did so, he get that from? Yeah, <laughs> right? I thought Your it was dad, beautiful, though. Really? I mean, honestly, I mean, he was so far ahead of his time. And yeah. he had such a, a powerful influence over so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. he trained Foreman. He, he, he helped train Frazier at one point. He taught mm-hmm. Cassius. He taught Cassius Clay the rope a dope. Yep. Um, you know he he. There's this guy has this incredibly far-reaching influence in boxing, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's funny because you and I have talked about people didn't even know what age he was. He was kind of this Mm-mm. person who had this influence over all these people, but also stayed very private. Which is why. His last book is called The Ageless Warrior by Mike Fitzgerald. 
and that's to me the name of the book was so apropos. Um, mm. That's what he was. He was an ageist warrior, and not not only in the ring, but I don't think Mike caught the parts that I did because, of course, I'm going to look at things differently because he's my dad. He was the ageist warrior in everything. Anything he tackled, he did with perfection. I was brought up like with a whole different person, but the same person. Well, you told me one time when we were talking offline, you didn't even realize your dad was this famous boxer until, you know, years into your life living with the guy, right? Well, first of all, yeah, first of all, I I, I wasn't born, you know. Oh, that makes me feel nice and young today. (laughs) Um, But, uh, no, I mean, I wasn't born. And so, you know, here's this guy. This man that just doted on me. Um, He's just uh, dad, right? He's just dad. (laughs) Yeah, he's just daddy, you know. And um, I don't know. I I just, you know, he was very nice and kind and funny and all that. And but like I said, he had he was a different man, but the same man. You know, I mean, we all had to eat dinner together at the same time every day. You know, um, and my mother was a wonderful cook um, and things like that. So we didn't have like, you know, we didn't have like, you know, chefs and things like that that a lot of other people did um, because my dad was on the road so much that he just didn't, he just didn't like hotel type food and stuff. So we, we, we didn't even go out to dinner that much unless he actually, you know, he was making an appearance and it was a dinner type party, but he loved my mother's just home cooking, number one, he was, he's a southern boy. He's from the south. And um, so that's what he liked. And back then, there weren't a lot of, quote, soul food restaurants at all. Right. Well, he tried to start. He had a, he had a, a restaurant, and he called it uh, the Chicken Shack. Uh, <laughs> and he used to fry. Yeah, oh, my God. He, had, he did so much. It, it was amazing. But anyway, back to... Me not knowing this guy, <laughs> I say this guy with tons of love. But we we had a routine. So after dinner, we um, had to read the Bible. And no, I'm I'm confusing it because that's the last thing we did before night, before we went to bed was we read the Bible, all of us together. You know, we had to learn the Ten Commandments. We had to speak a certain way. We had to enunciate all of our words perfectly. And we learned that from reading the Bible, not so much in school. Mm. Um, but anyway, we, uh, you know, we had a TV. Matter of fact, you say he's ahead of his time. We had a TV uh, down in the pool room where he shot pool. And it was up it was mounted up in the corner so he could watch TV while he was shooting pool. They didn't even mount TVs then. So, uh, but anyway, uh, and downstairs there was a bar, beautiful mahogany bar. Um, and then all around it had pictures of, you know, Billy holiday and Sidney Poitier, which, which is my uncle. 
uh, you know, just different stars, Red Fox, good friend of him, so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we go downstairs, and instead of watching TV, he made us watch fights. And we watched, <laughs> uh, and that was our entertainment. Okay? And he was down, you know, when he was out of town, our mom would let us watch real TV in the TV room. But for dad, we had to watch fights. And he started, he would talk about things like, um, okay, watch this guy. Well, of course he knew every fight. It was him. But we <laughs> didn't know. And so, um, you know, he said, well, no, watch this cat. That's what he would call him. Watch this cat. Watch this cat. Now, see, instead of him stepping here, he's going to step there. And then he would do it, and then boom, daddy would knock him out, or mm-hmm. the guy would knock him out. And I was like, wow, that's, this is really interesting. You know, it's, I found it just extremely interesting. But, you know, after a while, it's like, oh, my goodness, are we going to watch this Darrell guy again? And it's a double <laughs> fight. So one day... We're watching TV. I mean, excuse me. We're watching. Who oh, I, I said TV because that, that was our TV. We're watching Dad's fights, and they begin. And uh, Dad starts talking about it the same way. And uh, um, he says, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, he's what he's he's playing them on a reel to reel because that's all they had back then. Now right, I'm using right. myself, <laughs> and. Um, he would like, you know, feed it through there and so on. And then there would be the Gillette commercial and, you know, or the slip small liquor and so on. And so I leaned over to my sister, I think, and I said to her, I am so bored. <laughs> I was like, I wish we could watch Batman. Well, my father must have had ears of, he could just hear anything, obviously. I really, really whispered. And my brother Hardy said, yeah, we could watch Batman like that. (laughs) And my dad stopped. He said, oh, now here comes another part of him. Oh, you want to watch Batman? And he said it like he was offended. That we didn't want to watch boxing. I'm like, well, we watch it every day of our life to myself, <laughs> to myself. And so he said, uh huh, uh huh. So he told uh, my brother Hardy, he said, go over there and give me that blue tin off the box, out off the bar. And so Hardy went and got it. Daddy took out the tape. And uh, and actually, this particular fight he was showing was the Marciano fight. So. Uh, he said, um, you know, he put it in there and, you know, put it in the, uh, you know, 16 millimeter and all this and said it. We were like, okay, I wonder what fight this is going to be. And so we were like, so the fight, so the fight, quote, air quote, starts. And it starts with, and we're like, what? Is this like not the coolest guy in the world? He's actually going to play Batman for us. 
So now we're really interested. And, um, you know, Bruce Wayne and, and Alfred and the commissioner call Batman and tell him, hurry, get down to the bank, get down to the bank, you know. Uh, and I can't remember if it was the Penguin or the Joker, is going to rob the bank. And uh, so, but somebody needs to tell the banker, you know, because the banker, you know, back then, they count the money by hand. That means all the money's out. So Batman jumps in his car, cape flying, there's Robin, and they get down to the bank, and they, they go in the bank to back to the vault to talk to the banker. And the banker has his back to them. And he turns around, and it's my dad. <laughs> I about had a heart attack. I was like, wait a minute, because now it looks more like him, you know. Right, right. As a boxer, he looked younger and, you know, this, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, all of a sudden my brain about blew up because I'm like, wait a minute, Daddy, that's you. He said, yep. And I said, but you're here. He said, yes. I said, so that was you boxing? He said, that was me. No. He said, it was I. I said, wow. This is the old Adam that, West that, Batman show, right? Adam West. Adam West. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, he was so excited to meet Daddy. That was amazing. And, um, and uh, so... <laughs> I'm just kind of laughing because one day we went to a Hollywood set uh, and Adam West had started gaining a little weight for his little Batman outfit. And Daddy whispered to him, you need to come down to my house, Adam, so I can show you uh, a way to lose some weight. I got the Aborigine diet. And uh, actually he, he did come down. I don't know what happened. I don't remember what happened after that. But that's when I knew my father was Archie Morris. And and then I didn't want to even see Batman. And what what I wanted to see was the fight, because now wow. it, it it meant a whole different thing to me. And you guys and, traveled uh, the world. I mean, you guys were in Africa at one point. I mean, you guys were all, were yeah. kind of all over the place, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad was the uh, official coach for the for the Nigerian um, Olympic team, and. Uh, so he went over there for about a couple of years, but he would come back, you know, like on holiday. But my dad loved his family so much, and he missed us so much. He decided, guess where we're living? <laughs> he said, we're all going to Nigeria. We're going to Lagos. And so um, he said, but I want the girls to go to Nova Scotia, and you're going to be going to an all-girls school, and you can only speak French in school. Now, my sister spoke fluent French. I can just understand a little bit of it, so I was just like, I'm going to fail college. That's all I could think of. And so then my sister was like, and I said, I want to be with a bunch of girls. So my sister, she's a Mensa, or was. She was a Mensa, and she <clears throat> said, shut up. Wherever there's an all-girls school, there's an all-boys school close by. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah. So dad comes home from Nigeria to gather us up and, you know, to close up the house and so on and so on. Then he decided um, that we uh, he only picked the baby, which was Anthony, and he was in sixth grade. And then he decided, I, I, I want my girls with me. We were heartbroken. 
Oh, my God. <laughs> so, anyway, we ended up going to Nigeria. Uh, D'Angelo and Hardy, they stayed because they were playing football, and they were just going to stay until the end of the year and then uh, come back over. And But, yeah, we went to uh, Nigeria, but, but but in 70, I forgot what year that was, 76, I believe, that's when the um, African countries pulled out of the Olympics. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but they yeah. pulled out of it because of racism. Right, 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 right. So that was four years he trained these guys all for them not to go to the Olympics. But he understood, of course. So he kind of stayed over. We stayed over. I, that's where I went to college, my sister as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was very interesting. You know, I was too young to appreciate it. And, uh, but I I am so thankful that I was able to experience, you know, Nigeria and South Africa and Kenya and things like that because, you know, it, it, it's something I think that every everybody, number one, every person should experience, but definitely every African American, because the first thing they need to know is that Africa is a continent, not a country. Right. And a lot of people, believe it or not, they don't know that. And I will. Uh, I say people, and I mean, because I hear a lot of people online, you know, well, in Africa. You know, or or you know, they'll say you know, recently with the former president, it was like, well, then go back to Africa. Like, okay, where in this big continent should I go? <laughs> right, know? right, right. You know, I'm American, well, but I don't. It's you know, it, it's like Mark Twain said. You know, travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And many mm-hmm. people need it sorely, you know, like I think if more people traveled and saw more of the world it would it would help humanize everybody right i mean well well yeah well my that's that's why we traveled. My dad said that travel was the best education, and don't forget when he says a man, he meant men, women, children, whatever right right but right. that he was that's the way he spoke because of boxing. he said travel is the best education a man could ever have. So then after Africa, at some point you guys came back to, speaking of travel, all the way to the other side of mm-hmm. the world, to San Diego, right? Yeah, that's where we were raised. Um, that's where we were born and raised. We're native San Diegans. My dad picked San Diego because it had the most beautiful weather in the country. And, you know, he grew up you know, in snow and rain and walking through hockey pucks, pucks, whatever you call them, uh, that the horses would leave just to get to school. And him and uh, Red Fox were best friends. So every day, one, they would make a bet, and each of, each, whoever would lose would have to carry the other person on their back through the, through the horses' pucks. <laughs> so he kind of didn't want <laughs> He kind of didn't want us to grow up like that, so um, he loved San Diego. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you just one little tidbit to keep you on your toes, and uh, then uh, we'll just see how it turns out. My dad went, he was a champion of the world, 
and uh, he took, he chose San Diego. I told you for obvious reasons. Plus, he had two two training camps there in Ramona, you know, more east Sandy, east eastern part of San Diego, and uh, or northeastern. And uh, so he, but he wanted to build a house for my mother. So he went down, and he found two acres beachfront. So he got a realtor. And uh, or called the realtor. Realtor met him down there, and uh, he said, "I want to, I want to buy this land right here. I'm going to build a house for my wife." And so the guy says, "Well, I forgot how much it was, and uh, you know, probably you know a million dollars, which isn't a lot in San Diego for beachfront property these days." Right. But anyway, right. yeah. And so the guy says, uh, can't sell it to you. He said, what do you mean? He says, I have cash. Oh, I know, it was $2 million. He said, I have cash. My dad didn't do credit. He didn't do any of that. He believed in, you owe somebody, pay them. So that's how I was brought up. So Mm. uh, they would not sell it to him because he was a black man. Oh, that's true. And he had cash. And don't forget, and on top of that, he was going to build a house. Mm. Well, he spent most of the rest of his life there basically training everybody and their brother and mm-hmm. giving away mm-hmm. his knowledge and helping kids, yeah. street kids, find their way mm-hmm. and starring in movies and TV and all sorts right. of other stuff. Yeah, Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, yeah. Um we so love that. I think I I think this is a a good point to like leave people hanging for the next episode about you know Archie Moore's life and and all of the 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 amazing things that he did. We'll we'll pick up yeah. with uh you know some of the other stuff maybe uh after you finish some of your other projects. I don't want to I don't want to give anything away, and I don't want to uh, to, to get too many uh, too many facts out there and, and steal your thunder. Right. So <laughs> I okay. really appreciate you coming on the show, and thank you so much for for just oh, you're so welcome talking about your dad and and sharing all this stuff. It's been a huge honor, and I can't wait to have you back on again to talk more. Next time we'll talk about your boxing career and. Uh, the stuff well, you it was did. short-lived. It, it was short-lived, but the, the the best part of my boxing career was my dad. I was his last boxer. Right, right. Oh, that's a, so that's a good name for a book, Ben. Archie's last boxer. There you go. Well, hey, I never lost, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, how could you with so, a coach like that? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay, well, thank you well, again. You are so welcome, and I thank your audience very, very much for bearing with me and listening to me without coffee. And <laughs> I know my voice is a little gravelly today. Hopefully, it'll, it'll be better. So, but again, Perfect. I thank y'all, and I'll talk to you another time. All right.